Thank you very much for your company. You are listening to TrueAU.News Radio. Uh, look, we introduced or we published a uh, publication a while ago. It was titled Sand Pumping on Bribey Island and it's pumped up angry residents. Uh, it, it's all about a, a sand pumping station that has been placed on a beach of Bribey Island and it's, uh, it's there to uh, move sand back or it's called a sand back passing system. It's a trial. It could go for a number of years. Uh, in that article, uh, quite a few residents uh, had voiced their concerns through a petition and then uh, Brad Kennedy, who had gone on the record and, and said what he uh, had to say in relation to not being happy about uh, the look of the system and also the noise uh, that it's uh, it's likely to generate. He hadn't heard it himself, but had said that other people had heard it. But to add to this, um, we have Diane Oxenford on the line. Diane Oxenford, how are you? Well, thank you, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, good. Look, you've you've looked at that article and you've mm. got more to add to it. What would you like to say? Mm. Well, I think one thing we have to realise is we need to uh, restore the, the health of our dune systems and our beach at Braby Island. Um, way back when the uh, Wurram master plan was put in place, uh, the community stipulated that they wanted to maintain a natural beach, uh, natural bush setting for Braby. And part of that was our dune system. It used to be a lot of bush. We've lost 80 metres of land south of the main beach uh, because the sand groin was put in way back when, and <clears throat> and we need to restore all this and and get a healthy beach back. What we don't want to protect infrastructure and and the built environment is a rock wall or a concrete wall because that totally ruins the whole natural process of beach uh, um, beaches. Period. Uh, you know, and what was identified back in 2007 when BMTWBM, the coastal engineers who put together the Beach Shoreline Erosion Management Plan, identified was a 10% deficit between the erosion and um, accretion seasons, which, you know, erosion is summer and accretion is winter. So that 10% deficit with that north-south current um was actually eating away. And then when a cyclone comes, that eats away even more. So what we wanted was, um, uh, what BMTWBM recommended was beach nourishment. And at that point, um, a sandbag passing system was considered too expensive. So the council went with the other option to use the dredge material coming from the Port of Brisbane to pump onto the beach. And that's what was done, but it wasn't done according to the recommendations in the WB SEMP. And, and this has sort of caused a few problems and then nothing happened. So we, we have an accumulation of this deficit, which is not good. And now the council, we have a whole new management team. It's just fantastic. And they've continued to consult with the community. We have a Wurram Erosion Reference Group that's been meeting since 2008 or 2007. And, you know, we share information um, with the council, what we think, because we live in the community and council comes back with their plans to address things. And we are finally getting something that will actually restore our beach, we hope. And sandback passing systems have been used 
for years, for decades. I mean, they used them with Gold Coast and Noosa and all those places. But ours is a little different because we have nesting turtles. The council consulted with us yeah. and um, we're putting the pipes at the back of the dune so we can continue to have this lovely natural dune process without pipes and rocks and all that sort of thing underneath the sand. So we are actually going to get a good natural system going here and councils uh, and, and the community are vegetating the dunes and all that sort of thing to capture the sand, to grow the dunes towards the, the sea rather than having the dunes grow inland. All these things are important. And if people are just upset over a piece of equipment that's down there that is going to actually restore our beach, then... I have a problem with that. And since it's been operational, it hasn't made that much noise that's a, a nuisance to the community. From my understanding, I've spoken with a few community members and yeah. they've said, no, it's not as bad as was made out. It was going to be. So, you know, all these, it's just a small inconvenience for a huge um, gain, you know. Yeah, Diane and Oxford, we, but yes. you, you um, it, it sounds like you've, paid a lot of attention to this over quite some period of time with the um, information that you're, you're sharing now. Can yeah. you explain to us how we've found ourselves with this issue? Because you're talking about the sand backpassing system, res restoring it. But yeah. if it's going to restore it permanently, do we need, is, is there something that's got to be done to actually fix the issue in the first place that's causing the, the uh, deficit? Well, I think one of the big things is vegetation, vegetation, vegetation. And the dune is made up of different zones. You have the strand line and then another zone, another zone. So the, the one closest to the, to the actual water's edge is where you plant the, the, the ground covering um, salt tolerant vegetation like spinifex and goat's foot and all those sorts of plants. Then you put in salt tolerant um, shrubbery. And then you go back and you put in salt-tolerant trees such as um, casserinas that actually fix nitrogen to the soil because the sand isn't all that nutrient-rich. So that provides the nutrients so all the other smaller um, plants can grow. And then after that, you get another zone where you can have um, salt-intolerant plants, but you must have the ones ahead of those to protect them. And this is what we lost in a couple of storm events and removal of trees and things. We lost this, the salt-tolerant vegetation, so the salt-intolerant vegetation died as a result because it was exposed to all the, you know, the salt and everything in, in the wind. But you need all this vegetation to make sure the sand is captured and it grows the dune out. So once we restore the dunes and we have good vegetation, there is much better likelihood that we will be able to have a natural beach process and the ecology and the ecosystems will all come back to become a natural um, way of regenerating the beach and let the beach work its, itself. If we let nature work itself, it'll solve all these things. But, you know, with climate change and sea level rise and sea temperatures rising and all those things, we have to put in place something that 
will protect the built environment. Otherwise, we're going to have to retreat and take out that built environment. And I remember when I first came here, there was talk that I think it was the state government, and I can't prove all this because I don't have the documents yeah. or the the source at my fingertips. But, you know, Rickmond Parade, which is the most vulnerable of all our built um, environment, the real estate there is at total risk because – there is what is called a declared erosion control zone, and there should that's the minimum of 150 metres between the highest astronomical tide mark and the built environment. Well, Rickmond Parade has probably 35 to 40 metres between it. Wow. And in the last huge cyclone when we had Oswald, 20 metres of land was taken out, you know, three metres deep. So this is urgent to get this beach back the health of this beach back, this protective dune system, we must get it back because we do not want rock walls. They're hideous, they're dangerous, and they need their liability. They need constant maintenance. Whereas if you let a beach work, it's 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 magic. It will protect us. But with the climate change and all that sort of thing, back in you know when I first came here, the 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 thought was because Rickman Parade is so vulnerable and it wasn't as vulnerable then as it is now the, they were looking at buying up all that real estate for about 40 million dollars was the price they put on it oh yeah right so you know and then returning it to a declared erosion control zone but of course now we've got some high rise there and you know these are all at risk and these people don't understand that they are at risk they want their sea views and they knock down the 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 trees and vegetation um yeah diane you yeah, mentioned pretty turtles. soon they're going to have to yeah. moor their boats at their front door yeah, you mentioned turtles what are some of the other hmm. wildlife that are affected by what's going on around all oh this? we've well with the loss of a lot of this uh shrubbery and smaller vegetation we've lost little tiny birds that are protected by the undergrowth from predators we've lost uh well i used to hear um whip birds out on the beach we've lost um, the the white-faced herons, they used to be on the beach. Little possums would be in the bush. Um, we still have lovely um, Brahmini kites living there. Um, so that's nice. We have a couple of pairs of those. But, you know, it's just the general population of, of little birds and animals that used to live in the dunes, and they're part of that ecosystem. But the big thing is, you know, turtles are on the endangered species list. And we have, and we are obliged to protect them by international agreements, and not just protecting the animal. We have to protect their habitat, and their habitat to nest is part of that coastal coastline there. And um, you know, the science isn't definitive yet, but with sea temperature rise and all that sort of thing, they could be moving south to find cooler areas to nest. Because the, the nests are very temperature sensitive and so are the turtles. So we don't know, but, you know, they're coming in earlier to nest, which is a sign. Um, all those things. And we are obliged to protect them. <laughs> yeah, Diane, you've mentioned that you've been dealing with council. How have you found them to deal with? Fantastic these days. They're absolutely fantastic. I can't... I can't um, give them any more accolades they're just wonderful to deal with we've reached out to councillor brooke savage on a number mm. of occasions and we found it fairly mm. hard to get a response from mm. and to get comment from uh, now that might mm. be just that it's a contentious issue and she wants to stay away from it but how have you found mm. her to deal with 
Wonderful. Brooke is a very uh, diplomatic young woman. Um, she 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 works very hard not to take sides and tries to um, to make or you know be part of decision making process that takes in all the information. And you know, of course, there are people who have concerns. That's normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once you you understand the full implication of not having a healthy um, dune system along our eastern foreshore, well, even on our western foreshore, we've got, you know, seawalls there, which is the constant maintenance problem. Um, you know, uh, yeah, we have to work with nature, not against nature. Otherwise, nature will just come in and, <laughs> and yeah. wreck it all anyway. You have an organisation now. You're calling it Warren Beach Shoreline Erosion Management. Now, that's a plan, so that's not the organisation. What's the group of people that you've got? Well, actually, I'm president of the Bribey Island Environmental Protection Association, which is uh, 40 years old, 41 yeah. years old. Um, but there are a number of community groups here who are invited to the the Wurram Erosion Reference Group meetings where we interact and uh, with the council and share knowledge and information and and ask, you know, what's going on and all that sort of thing. And a lot of these um, um, groups, are, you know, don't bother coming to these meetings. So if they're not going to come to the meetings, then they can't complain about not being consulted on things because... <laughs> You know, uh, there are four who go consistently to the meetings, but there are others who, who never show up. And if they don't show up, they never find out and they can't take the information back to their their members. Well, or, Diane, you know. this is your opportunity. For those that mm. are listening to this and maybe want to know a little bit more about the group that you're talking about, how would they find that out? Well, it's it's one of those things that was actually established as part of the Warren Beach Shoreline Erosion Management Plan. So these groups were nominated as those that would represent the community uh, for this sort of consultative con consultation and um, or consultation process. So it's and you can you know it's uh, not exclusive. It's just that. It had to be set almost in stone yeah. um, who would be coming. And it's a wide group, you know. It's not just four who actually go. It's a wide group of community people, including the Chamber of Commerce. Um, so it's, it's uh, yeah, uh, yes. it's up to council to, to designate who comes so, you know, you, f you feel a, a, a huge responsibility to attend it so you can get back to your community and then share the information and then your community, you know, comes to you and asks you if you are a representative on the group. Yeah. Look, Do you know Diane, what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, Diane, Diane, I want to take you completely sideways with a question without notice, <laughs> um, but we've been talking about sand and the movement of sand. Mm. In the media recently, there was the reports that it's looking like that at the top end of bribery, it, it could break. Um, mm. do, you, do you just want to take us through that and your views on it? Um, well, I think there are a lot of factors that uh, I can't answer. I'm not a, a foreshore, you know, scientist, yeah. coastal scientist or a coastal engineer or anything. But from what I've read and heard and all those sorts of things, um, there's probably not much you can do to prevent it unless you 
you know, the, the different councils or the state government or even the federal government moves in. But while the councils are responsible financially for taking care of all these things, that's a huge impost on the ratepayer. But then you have, you know, all that uh, high rise at Caloundra that's at risk. Yeah. and those coastlines along Caloundra. But that's all under the Sunshine Coast Council, not the Moreton Bay Regional Council. So that jurisdiction is out of my purview and, the yeah. you know, our MBRC. It's it's all to do with the Sunshine Coast. Um, but, you know, once again, nature will do her thing if you let yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, 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 you know, human interference has caused a lot of problems with uh, coastal communities. If we... If we worked with nature, I keep saying this, if we work with nature, you know, um, we would have a better outcome. Look, you've touched on that. If we work for, uh, with nature, that's what, what you just said. How do you mm. reconcile um, you live on Bribey Island, um, mm. you're a local through and through by the sounds mm. of it, uh, people need places to live and, mm. uh, you know, they want to live in places like Bribey Island. How mm. do you have people live in harmony with nature, particularly when more people want to move to Bribey Island? Mm, yes, you have to have a population cap, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, if we keep draining our wetlands and building canal developments and uh, and if we keep you raising all the vegetation, we're going to upset a whole ecosystem here. It's going to dry up our aquifers, uh It'll change the vegetation. We won't have wallabies in our backyards, you know. Um, we may, if, we, if we don't take care of it, and, and this is it. it, it seems to me that a lot of people do want to come to Bribey because it's such a lovely natural environment. But the first thing they do is chop down every tree in sight to build a house, you know, instead of designing their houses around trees, you know, and and it can be done. You just have to look at a tree. You can't have just a singular tree anywhere poking up. At. You need companion trees during storms and things so they don't just fall over and fall down, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so um, I have to say we designed our house around a huge bloodwood and it hardly moves in cyclonic weather because our house behaves like a a bush of companion trees around it, you see? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you do these things with prevailing winds in mind and, and you know, the natural process. Diane, thank you very much for taking That's the time right. to spend some time yeah. with our listeners. Look, you might have a view on this. You might want to get involved mm -hmm. in this conversation. You can give us a call on 1-800-878-328 or do what Diane did, head to the website, trueau.news. There's a contact form there. You can get involved.